It's funny, this, uh, this video reminds me of a time uh, a couple Thanksgivings ago when uh, my, my dad was here and we had some, some other friends up, and, um, or another friend that was with us. I think they were working on delivering a plane from, Bolivia, or from here to Bolivia. And uh, <clears throat> Sarah got sick right before Thanksgiving. And so the question was, what do we do? What do we do? And so uh, my dad, my brother, and I took on the responsibility of making Thanksgiving the Thanksgiving meal. And um, I, I remember still, because while, while most things turned out edible, um, my, my dad spent all this time working on this green bean casserole. Green bean casserole. And it was beautiful. He did such a good job. And he sprinkled the little, what are those called? French fries. He sprinkled the little French fries. That's what happens when you don't cook. That's what you call them. Sprinkle the French fries on top. And I walked over to it, and I thought, well, that looks really nice, but it's all supposed to be mixed together. So I grabbed the spoon, and I mixed it all together. And, and he came out, and he said, my green bean casserole, what have you done? So we still joke about it to this day. That just brings back a lot of memories. Um, but, you know, we're working our way into the holiday season. And uh, we have Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's coming up shortly. Uh, what does that look like for you? What does Thanksgiving look like for you? Are you going to go from house to house, place to place? You know, there are, there are certain people, and this is my first time seeing snow outside these windows. It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. If you notice, I like snow. I've mentioned it a couple times this morning. But some people, they'll, they'll go to the, the one set of in-laws for Thanksgiving lunch and another set of in-laws for Thanksgiving dinner, and, and life gets crazy as you go from one place to another trying to get everywhere. Maybe you're the one that's cooking, and you're getting that ready. I, I read about a lady who was picking through frozen turkeys at the grocery store, and she couldn't find one big enough for her family. And so she's going through them all, right? And if you've ever been to the grocery store and they're just all thrown into this big tub, right? And you're scrambling through. And so she looks over at, at the grocery boy. He's a high schooler. And he, she goes, hey, hey, son, do these turkeys get any bigger? And uh, he looks at her and he goes, no, ma'am, they're dead. They're dead. <laughs> and, and so, you know, maybe you're the one that's looking right now and, and you're trying to get all of that prepared for Thanksgiving. It's, it's coming soon. But did you know that statistically, uh, people's stress rises during the holiday season? Um, there's multiple studies done on this that shows that your stress as an individual or, or a majority of people's stress rises significantly during the holiday season. The time that is about family and, and thankfulness and being together, and yet it becomes one of the most stressful times of our year. And there are different reasons. For, for some people, it's money. Some people, it's time. It's work. It's family. Um, some people know that when they sit around the table, there's an uncle who's going to bring up politics, and everybody's going to disagree the whole time they're sitting around, and they're saying, no, no, no. There are other people who, who say, you know, we, we just don't have the money this year to buy the Christmas presents that we need to buy. What are we going to do? And it becomes stressful, and it becomes overwhelming. Maybe the stress for you in your life, maybe you don't get stressed out more in the holidays. Maybe the holidays are relaxing. And, and so I hope you take this, this morning's sermon and apply it to regular worry and anxiety in your life. The truth is that we all deal with worry in one form or another um, throughout our daily life. And this morning we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety, about worry, and about thankfulness. 
Philippians 4, <clears throat> 4 through 9 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that you would work in this service. Father, as you have been already, Father, help us to, to identify areas of worry in our life, Father, and surrender them over to you. Father, this holiday season might not be one that is stressful, Lord, but it can be one where, where we truly experience your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Paul starts off by saying this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We're not going to spend a whole bunch of time on this this morning, but I, I think we have to address it because it's in this section we're going to be looking at. We are to be thankful in the Lord. You know, we're not always thankful about our current situation or circumstances, are we? Um, when the doctor comes and, and, and tells you something you don't want to hear, when there's a bill that comes in the mail that you know you don't have the money for, you don't look at it and go, wow, thank you so much for this bill. I've been waiting for it. Right? But we rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I think sometimes in, Christians aren't always known for being very reasonable. Even to each other <laughs> at churches. But that's how we are to be known. <clears throat> but then Paul goes into the part that we're going to spend the majority of our time on today. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We see here that, that worry is not something that is of God. But, but worry is something that we do experience in our lives. We, we, we find ourselves stressed about situations, overwhelmed. And, and maybe this morning, um, <clears throat> some of you are worrying about different things, even while you're in church. How many of you have ever been worried before? A little bit. How many of you have ever been worried before to the point where it's all you can think about, that certain situation at that moment? Has everyone ever been worried like that? Maybe it's just me. So we all experience worry in our lives, and it's important that we know how to handle it. And it's amazing because Paul brings thankfulness and thanksgiving as a part of dealing with worry. But worry is not of God. You see, being afraid of the future isn't something that we are, as Christians are supposed to do. Why? Because we know the one who holds the future. <clears throat> so why are we worried? We know the one who's in control, so why do we worry? 
1 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power of love and love and self-control. The spirit that is in you, the spirit of God, is not one of fear. It is not one of worry, but it's of power of love and self-control. I think the King James says a sound mind. Right? That's, that's who God has put in you. <clears throat> not the spirit of worry. Not the spirit of fear or anxiety. I think in our lives we oftentimes find that fear, worry, anxiety are very intertwined. There might be a little bit of a different definition. But when you're afraid, you're going to worry. And when you're worrying, you are naturally, and by definition, afraid. So Paul writes this. He says to believers, don't be anxious. Don't worry. As Christians, we're not supposed to worry. But how in the world do we do that? Paul definitely couldn't have meant don't worry in your life, right? right? It's kind of like when Jesus says, go and sin no more. He's Jesus. He knows that they're going to sin again while they're still on earth. Why would he say that? Because as believers, we are not supposed to worry. And, and Paul wasn't the first one to say this. <clears throat> you know, all throughout the Old Testament, we see again and again, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. But in the New Testament, we also see a time when Jesus addresses anxiety, worry, and fear in and of itself. And here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, Matthew 6, 25 do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, as a person, not of more value than they? <clears throat> and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day, its own trouble. Jesus tells us not to worry. Paul tells us not to worry, but before Paul said, don't be anxious in your life, Jesus said, don't worry. And what does Jesus talk about? He talks about the very essentials to life itself, food and clothing, right? Don't worry about food. Don't worry about it. Why? Have you ever spent any time watching birds before? I heard we have a couple people from from church today that are actually out watching some birds this afternoon. <clears throat> but have you ever spent any time watching birds before? Birds are not lazy. They work very hard. 
yet they have what they need. Jesus is saying, listen, God's going to provide what you need in order to accomplish what God has for you to do. So why are we worried? See, if in our lives, our, we, we realize that our purpose here is to glorify God, to bring Him glory, and live our lives according to what He has for us, then why be worried? The God who holds everything in His hands is in control. Are you worth more than birds? Birds have no soul. You do. Jesus died for you. You know, again and again in Scripture, we see Ephesians chapter 2. We just finished our series on Ephesians, right? You are God's masterpiece. But we still worry in our lives. We still deal with anxiety in our lives. There's a, a study by a group called One Pole or, or Benenden, and here's what they say, that in your life, you'll spend four, this is, this is on average in the study that they did, 14 hours a week worrying. 14 hours a week worrying. 744 hours a year worrying. <clears throat> 45,243 hours of worry in a lifetime. And if you would add all of that together, that's 1,885 days of worry in your lifetime, which equals, on average, 5.2 years of worrying. 5.2 years of worrying. How many of us worry and worry and worry and we, we use it as a solution to a problem that we can't solve? We use worry as a solution to the problem that can't be solved. Maybe you've heard of Hudson Taylor before, the, the great missionary. Here's what he said, I am no longer anxious about anything as I realize that he who is able to carry out his will for me, it does not matter where he places me or how, that's for him to consider, not me. For in the easiest positions, he will give me grace. And in the most difficult ones, his grace is sufficient. In the easiest positions, he will give me grace. But in the most difficult ones, his grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many times do we worry about things in our lives that are outside of our control? When we know we have a God who's sovereign, a God who rules, a God who reigns. So now what? You know, you know, Pastor Tony, I, I've dealt with worry so much in my life. I, I deal with it every day. I'm worried right now. <laughs> you know, I see the snow outside, and I'm trying to think how I'm going to get to the store to get bread and milk in time before the snowstorm truly hits. You know who you are. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's really serious things in life, and I'm, just, I'm worried about it. I'm anxious about it. It's... It's really twisting my, my soul right now because it's just overwhelming. Maybe you're in a place where, where you, you look down and, and it feels like you're in a tunnel and there's no end to the worry right now that you're going through in your life. It's overwhelming. It's consuming. There's a song that Michael W. Smith sang recently and the words were simple. It said, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
And it comes from one of the verses that, that supported Isaiah 50-12. It says, For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your real guard. You know, oftentimes in worry, we feel like we're surrounded by our circumstances and our situation. Everywhere you look, it's, it's worry, worry, worry. Because it's your situation, your situation, your situation, your situation, your situation. And it consumes us, it overwhelms us. But, but the reality of it is this, is that you're not surrounded by your circumstances or your situation. You're surrounded by your God. The one who's more powerful than the worst circumstance or situation that you could ever go through. And what I love about the words of that song, and Scripture supports it, and we'll look at it in a minute, is that the, the battle of worry, the battle of anxiety, the, the battle of contentment is one of the mind. It's one of the mind. See, the enemy wants you to, to be depressed, discouraged, to live in fear, but God doesn't give us that spirit. So we are to rest in Christ. We're not to be discouraged even though difficulties come. We're to be encouraged in Christ. So I know God will provide for me in my life. I know it, but do I believe it? I, I, know, I know that what God has in store for my life is the best. According to his plan and his purpose, it's all going to work out for what he wants to be best. <clears throat> but do I believe it? I said it's a battle of the mind. Scripture talks a lot about different things that we, we, we struggle with in our minds, but, but it's important that we understand that the battle is one of the mind. Colossians 3.2 says this, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That idea of setting your mind speaks to a responsibility that we have as people. Set your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5, this is in the King James. It says this, <clears throat> casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So you set your mind, you're capturing every thought because oftentimes worry, that's what it is, right? It's thoughts going through our minds, what we allow ourselves to dwell on, what we allow ourselves to focus on. I wish I could keep going, but I need a drink. Romans 8, 6 says this, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And if we continue in the same passage that we're working on right now, Paul says this, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, read that last part with me. Think about these things. Think about. That speaks to our responsibility. Paul said, listen, don't be worried. Don't be anxious about anything. And we're going to deal with, with how he, he looked at that in a minute. But we, we see this idea that the battle that we fight of worry and anxiety is one that happens right here. What are you allowing yourself to think on? Maybe you're a teenager in the room today, and, and you got 
For, or maybe you remember what it's like to be a teenager. <laughs> and, and you think through the times when you were frustrated at your parents for not allowing you to watch certain TV shows or listen to certain music. And there's a reason why, because what you think and put in your mind is important. It doesn't just disappear. So what are you focusing on? Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. So don't worry, but here's what you do when you do worry. Here's what you do when when the times and the seasons of worry come in life because Even though we're told not to worry, we know. And Paul knows, or he wouldn't have given us instructions what to do when it happens. But there are seasons of worry in life. When you begin to become anxious, when you begin to become worried, pray, 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 pray. By prayer and supplication. But then Paul says this word. He says, with thanksgiving. It's a little hard to be thankful when we're really worried, isn't it? It's a little hard to to look and be content with where God has us when we're overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. But Paul says when you find yourself in that situation, you fall on your knees before God, you tell him what's going on in your life, and then you thank him for who he is. See, it's a battle of the mind. There's a story... And uh, I'll share it with you, and then I will we'll come to a close here. Um, we had, uh, a couple years ago, Sarah and I had uh, decided we had this, this uh, really ugly yellow car, really ugly yellow car, and uh, we decided it was time to, to send it where cars go. And um, actually, I drove it to the dealership to turn it in, to trade it in, and my goodness, I, I barely made it there. It was one of those things where you, you uh, I think, the, well, there was a whole bunch of stuff wrong with it, but the transmission was going and other things like that. And I remember I would have to ride the gas very, very particularly, and if I hit it too hard, the whole engine would give out. And so I'm, on, I'm coming down 283, you know, Harrisburg, and I'm driving this car, the whole car's shaking like this. I'm like, help me make it, help me make it, help me make it, help me make it. And then you see a policeman, and it's like, oh, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> you know, I'm in trouble. Um, but we found another car. We decided we're going to get rid of that when we found another car. We bought a, um, a car from a representative who had never sold a car before. That was her first car sale. And uh, we bought a Nissan Rogue. You guys know what a Nissan Rogue is? And had high miles, so we also bought an extended warranty with it for, for the transmission and an engine because of how high the miles were. And we had it for a little while. It wasn't very long. Um, but it was a tremendous blessing to us, this car. Uh, Sarah's grandmother was very sick in Pittsburgh, and that car allowed us to be able to travel back and forth and see her grandmother before she passed away. Um, there are multiple things that, that that car was such a blessing. We, we didn't have it very long, but it was such a blessing. And, and one night we were, we were over at a friend's house for dinner. We were talking about a future missions trip that they were going to come on that we were leading. And, and we're driving down the road and, and we're coming back and I'm going to a deacon meeting, right? And I, and I look over out of my, the side of my eye and I see this fully lunged dough. There's nothing I could have done. 
and boom, we hit it. The airbags go off. The car was completely totaled. Sarah, if you've been in a car accident before, you know the little smoke that comes from the airbags, right? And, and so we're kind of smelling like, oh, the car's on fire. We got to get out. And, uh, and so I get out of the car, and we're a little bit, little bit kind of shooken up. And uh, the car was, was completely totaled. The deer was on the other side of the road. Huge doe. And, of course, somebody stopped and asked if they could take the deer, right? You know, thanks for caring about us. You know, take the deer, buddy, you know. <laughs> Lord bless you, you know. <laughs> so, um. <clears throat> but I, I remember getting out of the car and thinking, all right, now what do I do? I've never been in an accident where, where the police had to be called or anything like that. And so um, I'm thinking, okay, i got to call the police. It's night out. It's freezing cold. And Sarah had taken Nehemiah away from the vehicle just in case there was anything going on. And he was just a, a babe at that time, right? And, um, and believe it or not, within a number of seconds, red and blue lights come on. And a police officer came up and said, hey, I see what happened. Do you need help? I said, oh, thank you. Yes, thank you. And, and just a, a couple of minutes after that, a car came from a family from Word of Life Chapel that we knew. And they said, hey, we see what's going on, because we couldn't move the vehicle. I mean, we, we kind of got it off to the side, but that's it. We weren't driving anywhere in it. And they said, listen, we'll take Sarah and Nehemiah home. And just after that, another person pulled up from church and said, hey, I see what happened. Do you need a ride home? I'll wait with you until it's all done. And, and I remember getting in, getting in his car as we're leaving, and I, and I was thinking to myself, <coughs> okay, so we owe money on this car, and... You know what happens when you drive a car off a lot? The value of the car all of a sudden goes whoop, right? All of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, you sure it was worth this much when we bought it, right? Whoop. And I think, all right, we haven't had it very long. We're going to owe some money on this car. And we don't have a way to pay for it. But it was, it was in my mind. It was real. There was no way that you can get out of that. That was what was going to happen. We were going to get a, a bill in the mail with negative equity on this car. And... and um, so I, I start to think to myself as I get home, and everybody's good, and praise the Lord, and, and I get on my phone, and I'm looking, how much is this car worth? How much am I going to be left with to pay? And it didn't work. My phone didn't work. So I got on my computer, and I'm trying to pull up Kelly Blue Book, right, to find out how much the car is worth, to figure out how much I'm going to have to pay, and it wouldn't work. And then it was like I heard the Lord tell me, Tony, I've got this. Don't look anymore. All right? <laughs> I'm going to trust you. And the insurance company called, and they paid us $200 more than what we actually owed on the vehicle. Plus, they gave the money back for the warranty. And I'm sure this morning, if I grabbed the microphone and walked around, there'd be story after story after story after story after story of how you've seen God work in amazing ways in your life. What I'm trying to get to is this. Situations happen. And worry is our fleshly impulse. You know what it should be or what you think it should be. But see, you have a God that's greater than that. So come to him. Father, I'm struggling with this, but, but I know you're, you're great in this, and I thank you for that. And what, are we, what can we thank God for in our lives? I and mean, we just spent all that time at the prayer time going around thanking the Lord for different things. First Chronicles 16.34 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You thank God for his goodness. 
His steadfast love endures forever. You thank God for his great and amazing love. You thank God for his faithfulness. Psalms 9.1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of all your wonderful deeds. We thank you because you are good. Despite my circumstances. See, my circumstances don't depict God's goodness. God's good whether or not <clears throat> the insurance company would have called and said, you know, we're, the, the payout amount is $200 more than what you owed on the car. Or if they would have said, you know what? We don't owe you anything. <laughs> God's still good. God's still good. And we still praise him for it and we give him glory in each of it. I have some friends here visiting this morning. And uh, two of them are going to get up in, and we're going to play a little song. And there's, there's going to be some words on the screen. And I encourage you just to reflect on them. <coughs> As I think it, it summarizes what, we're, what we've talked about today. 